Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians. Once again, chapter number two, Philippians chapter number two, and this is where we're going to be this morning. All throughout um, the Word of God, all throughout history, and even in our modern day world, you see the efforts of of people. Uh, You see people desiring, whether in leadership or whether in uh, a career building, whether it's a situation where you're in the military, whether it is a situation where you're working for uh, any type of, of banking or any any job that you have, you begin to see that there, there are oftentimes at the very top of where everything is being evaluated and, and looked at, there are people who are trying to figure out one common goal, and that is how do we make sure that we get everybody on the same page moving forward? You, you see this in Scripture as Paul is dealing with this in chapter number 2 as he says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. That statement, that reference, fulfill ye my joy, as a matter of fact, is made in reference to chapter number 1, verse number 27, where he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So, Paul's entire interest and Paul's entire desire, everything that he was striving to get across, every point that he was making, every emphasis that he was uh, discussing, all of this was pointed to one thing, and that was the gospel. It was always the center of all of what Paul was doing. As you walk through chapter number 1, notice in chapter 1, you see this emphasis in verse number 5 as he says, for the fellowship in the gospel. In verse number 7, he says, defense and confirmation of the gospel. In verse number 12, he says, furtherance of the gospel. In verse number 17, he says, defense of the gospel again. He later on would use in verse number 27, as he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul's mind... In every act that he did, every place that he went to, every person that he had a conversation with, every ministry opportunity that was presented to him, he had the gospel on his mind. You see, why did he have the gospel on his mind? Well, it was the gospel that changed his entire life. It was the encounter with Christ that forever would set Paul on a different path. You see, before Paul had had met Jesus Christ, and and before his life was changed, he was once persecuting the church. And as a matter of fact, he would later on, in some of his writings, go on to talk about how cruel some of the things that he did was. But then Jesus changed his life. So all of a sudden, Paul's entire emphasis was now, at one point in time, trying to persecute the church, but now he is trying to bring people to the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. What a difference the gospel has made in his life, and what a difference the gospel ought to have made in our lives. That would be on our minds every single day of our lives, that we would be thinking, man, I've got to share this. So notice what he says in verse number 2 as we get back there. Fulfill ye my joy, making reference to verse number 27, that ye be like-minded, Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other, or each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus. The very first four verses begin to make a transition to verse number five, again, dealing with the mind. You're going to see the word mind multiple times in this passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, as he begins to deal with the mind, he understands the importance of guarding the mind and making sure that the mind is held captive to the right thoughts and the right things, and he understands that. In the first four verses, Paul is going to begin to deal with this statement of being one of, of being one of accord, of one mind. And as you begin to think about the first four verses, Paul is going to lead us to understanding that even in our modern day, this is a desire of even companies. You say, well, how, how do we know? We, we understand that Paul is writing that we ought to be of one mind and we ought to be of one accord and that we ought to be, you know, of, of, of like-minded and all these things. But how do we know that these Bible principles are even creeping into our world today? Well, in 2002, Google did a study of 180 different teams that they had put together. All of these teams were put together in their, their, their corporation, and they were doing a study, and the study was called Project Aristotle. And they were trying to figure out, because Google was trying to make the most of their company, they were trying to make the most of what they had done and who they were, and how could they get to that next level, if you would. And so they had 180 teams that they were doing evaluations of. Of those 180 teams that they were doing evaluations of, they, they began to realize that there, yes, were certain characteristics about certain people, but those characteristics did not matter. They found that there were certain qualities of, of personalities about certain people. Some were a little more sensitive, and some were a little more harsh, and some were a little more go-getters, and some were a little more go-with-the-flow, but those things didn't matter. None of those things. It's very interesting that as you go and you do the study of this uh, Project Aristotle, that none of those types of things mattered to Google as they were trying to make the most of their company. You know, it's very interesting because in the church, and in the local church sometimes, you're going to see that Paul's going to deal with this, that how many personalities do we have in our local church right this very moment? How many different uh, personalities? Some might be sensitive, some might be harsh, some might be go-getters, some might be go-with-the-flow, some might be, uh, you know, uh, leaders, some might be followers, some might have this personality of, uh, of weeping a little easy, some might, it might take a lot, whatever the case may be. You could find so many different personalities. Yet even in the midst of all of these different personalities, God Almighty is the one who created us, and He knew that you would be here this morning. He knew that you'd be a part of this church, and He says, hey, your personality doesn't matter. Be of one mind. And so Project Aristotle, as you go and you look into the records of everything that they were trying to, to figure out and all the money they poured into this, the one common goal that they were trying to figure out, we see in this text, they were trying to figure out how can we get our team to work together to be the best version of themselves. You know, I believe as Paul is writing here, he is emphasizing, in chapter number 1, he's emphasizing the gospel. We see that. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, in verse number 20, one of my, my favorite verses in all of Scripture, according to my earnest expectation, that word expectation speaks of the highest opinion. He had such a great view of God that he was so confident in God to do something that he later re-emphasizes this with the statement, my hope that godly anticipation, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. 
For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As Paul is making reference to this statement, Christ shall be magnified. And you begin to think about us being of one accord. Here in a few minutes, we're going to look at some things. But in one accord, as you begin to think about the emphasis of Paul's life and the gospel that he is trying to pour into these people and help them to understand that it was not only life-changing to him, but it could be life-changing to them and so many others. And he says, Christ shall be magnified. Well, how is Christ going to be magnified? As you begin to think about some things we ought to be magnifying Christ in and ought to be of one accord in, it is very simply as we lay the foundation, we ought to be of one accord as we think about through proclamation of God's word. Oh, that God's word would take preeminence in our lives and that as the word of God is preached, that we're not looking for something that sounds good, but we're looking for something that's biblical. That we're not looking for something that, hey, yeah, that, that's a nice little thought. No, we're looking for something that is a truth that is delivered from God's word. That as we say, yes, I believe that, and our church believes that. Through the proclamation of God's word. You see, Paul, as he would go through these towns and speak to these people, he desired them to understand not what he had to say, but the truth of God's word. All of Paul's life was consumed by that. He wanted people to understand the name of Jesus and what Jesus meant to him and what they could mean to him, them. Not only through proclamation, as you think about your testimony and proclaiming the name of Jesus, but also, as we already dealt with, the preaching of God's word of one accord, but also of prayer, through prayer. You say, well, what do you mean by that? You think about some of Paul's heart here. Paul has revealed in the early verses of chapter number one that his heart was for the people, toward the people. You begin to understand that as he begins to outline some of these things in verse number, uh, chapter number one, as he goes on and he begins to say in verse number four, he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. He then would go on in verse number nine and says, and this I pray. You see, you begin to realize, as Paul was dealing with this multiple times, as a matter of fact, in chapter 1, that he is emphasizing being of one accord in prayer through proclamation of God and who he is and the difference he has made through the preaching of God's word that truth would be desired. And so all through chapter 1, the, set, the scene that is said is the scene of the gospel and the importance of the gospel. As you begin to think about this statement of being in one accord, you begin to think about different times in history of America or uh, different times in your own life where you could tell that whatever company you were work with, you know, they, 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 just the other day I was reading, there's someone that I'm friends with uh, on social media that works at Legends Bank here in town. And they do a lot of, of um, relationship building and, and workforce building and all these types of things. And so they had been sent to this place where they were going to go and they were going to do this obstacle course. Team building is what it was called. And they were supposed to work together. You see, all of these things that we're seeing in our, our nation, and all these things that we're seeing, principles that businesses are being applying and, and what they're trying to do, we see right here. Because Paul understood, hey, there's differences. Squash the differences. There's personalities. Don't be consumed by the personalities. There's going to be problems. Don't let them consume you. There's going to be situations, just keep pressing forward. And so Paul goes on in verse number one of chapter number two, and he begins to remind us of the importance of some of these very strong statements as he addresses everything, building it up to where he is going to once again reemphasize what he's already said in chapter number one, verse number 27. Again, in chapter number one, verse 27, he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, 
I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The statement that is made in verse 27, striving together, speaks of unity of self. All of us. It's the opposite of unity, not self. And it is speaking of everyone. And as we move forward as a church and as we move forward trusting the Lord and all the plans that he has for us and all the desires that he has for us, Paul begins to deal with four different things, the consolation in Christ, the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, the bowels and mercy, all leading us to verse number two where he goes on and he says, fulfill ye my joy. What is your joy, Paul? My my joy is very, very interesting. It's very easy to understand. It's very much attainable. It's this, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse 3, he would later, here in a few moments, go on and describe the opposite of what he is trying to get a point across. So notice with me, a couple of things as we lead up to this one understanding of being of one accord and what Paul is dealing with in this passage of Scripture. Notice with me, number one, Paul addresses consolation. Paul addresses consolation here. <clears throat> as you think about a body of Christ, as you think about the church families, you think about all that the Lord desires to do in our lives, the word consolation speaks of a calling to one's aid, a comfort, a comforter, or an encouragement. Paul later in this passage of Scripture will continue to emphasize this, but Paul is reminding the people that because of what Jesus had already done, that alone should be enough incentive for them to have peace and purposeful pursuits, that that alone, that we are one in Christ, should be enough for us to move forward together. Aside all of the personalities, aside all of the problems, aside all of the, the differences, aside everything Just because we are one in Christ, that alone, that common bond should move us and press us forward. And so he begins to deal with the consolation. He says, if therefore be any consolation. That word consolation, again, a calling to one's aid, a comfort, or an encouragement. Now the word consolation carries with it uh, the thoughts both of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ and what had been taking place. And you begin to think about, as Paul is writing, there were some people that might have come to his mind. Some people that might have been an encouragement or a comfort in his own life. You think about Barnabas for a few moments, who was called the son of consolation. You think about as he is dealing with all of these many things, he's dealing with what he has experienced in his personal life. But the greatest example, which is dealing with verses 1 through 4, is not Barnabas. He gives three examples in chapter number 2. And the first example is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest example that we have in all matters of life. And as you begin to study the, 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 the example that Christ was, Christ was a, a servant of the Lord. He came to minister to. And you begin to think about this subject matter of consolation and what it means. And you begin to think about the Christian way and what the Lord would have for us to do. One preacher was talking about getting in the way and being on the way so that we could be used of the way. I found that very interesting. I like it. You know, far too often, we, we, we uh, assume that that statement, in the way, is speaking of if I'm in the way of someone. I'm trying to get to my destination, or someone's trying to get to their destination, and I'm in their way, and so we quickly move out of the way. But I wonder, how many times have we moved out of someone's way when God says, no, you need to be in their way? 
How many times has the Lord impressed upon our hearts to be in someone's way that was on a different way, and they, the Lord was impressed upon our hearts to be in their way so they can find that they were going on a different way that was never meant for them? The Lord was impressed upon my own heart that I need to be in the way and on the way so I can get in someone's way. Oh, as I was thinking and just considering all of what the Lord has for us and what the Lord has opened doors time and time again, I shared with our Sunday school class this morning of a very powerful tool that I never realized was a powerful, powerful tool. And Miss Angela was sharing a testimony with me a couple of weeks ago when she was sharing the, the illustration that I had shared about practice does not make perfect, but I was always taught that perfect practice makes perfect. And so... In one of her classes, she was talking and dealing with a subject matter, and she was talking about practicing these things. And she made the statement that she had heard that practice doesn't make perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. The student raised their hand. They said, that doesn't make sense because we'll never be perfect. So we could practice and practice and practice, and we could practice and try to practice it perfectly, but we'll never be perfect. She was telling me that story. I said, you know, I've never realized that's a tool right there. Because in that moment... If we're gospel-minded, that Paul is talking about, that if we have the gospel on our minds at all times, that in that moment we would say, you know what, that's right. We aren't perfect. But can I share with you someone who is? His name is Jesus. And he changed my life, and he can change your life. And so you can go all your life trying to do all of these things, and you can think that you've practiced it the right way, whether it's religion, whether you try this or you try that, you'll never get it. But, oh, when you find Jesus, that's all you need. And I never realized that moment as she was sharing that, that all this time I've had this tool, this one little cliche statement to make. And all I need is someone to disagree with me for me to say, you know what, you're right, actually. So let me correct it. There's one who is perfect. You see, Paul understood all of these things. He understood what it meant. As a matter of fact, as you go and you look at the, the type of leader and the type of servant that Jesus was, he was a different leader. He was a different servant. Go and study his life out. All of the religious ones admired his power, yet they came to despise his leadership. You want to know why? Because they wanted a militant leader who would belittle and cast off. They wanted someone who would use his power to push the Romans out of Israel. They wanted, they wanted, they wanted. But instead, they found a man who was gracious. They found a man who was loved. They found a man who came to seek and to save that which was lost. They thought they knew what they wanted, but they didn't realize what they needed. And all of us, that's how we live our lives. We want, we want, we want, but we don't realize what we need. Oh, the consolation that he deals with. Jesus, the perfect example, was a minister and he was a servant. And he says, if there be therefore any consolation, notice these words, in Christ. Number two, we see that he addresses comfort. He addresses comfort. That's a very interesting word, isn't it? I believe the word comfort is a word that has held many Christians back from doing all they could for Jesus Christ. I believe that whenever we get out of our comfort zone and whenever we say, Lord, I'm tired of living in comfort. Lord, I'm selling out to you. And Lord, I, I want to do your will. Hey, I think as a church, we can testify that a couple of years ago when as a, a church, there were some of us that were standing out there. And as a church as a whole, we voted to move forward. If God was in this property and us attaining this property and moving forward, that it was a little uncomfortable. I know it was uncomfortable. I can show you the pit stains in the shirt that I was wearing on the day of the auction. I mean, I was, I was uh, everything but comfortable that day. 
but what a Savior. And can I share with you, there have been many days in your own life where we have realized that we didn't need comfort. We just need Jesus. You don't need comfort. Paul goes on, he says, if any comfort of love. Now, he's dealing with a different word, comfort. This word comfort speaks of speaking closely with someone or to give them comfort. And so he's going to later on summarize all this in verse number two, fulfill you my joy. May you be like-minded, having the same love, having one accord of one mind. But in verse number one, he's highlighting all these important truths. That consolation, that encouragement, being of one accord, being encouragements together. If any comfort of love, that we would comfort each other, that we would love each other, that we would be there for each other. When a brother or sister is in need, that we would pray for each other, that we would be there for each other, that we would move forward. If we're gospel-minded, then we'll always think this way. As you continue to move forward in the passage of Scripture, he goes on, he says, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any bowels and mercies. Now, Brother Shetler made it very clear our church does not lack on fellowship. And I appreciate that. I love fellowship. I enjoy fellowship. And so Paul here not only addresses consolation, not only does he address comfort, but now he begins to address fellowship. But here's what the word fellowship means. It's not the, the word that we've been using where we're going to have a fellowship down in the gymnasium. We're going to have a fellowship out of the park. We're going to have a fellowship playing this or doing this or doing that. No, it's speaking of a joint partnership. Now, keep in mind, what is the the one thing that has consumed Paul's mind? It's the gospel. And so I stand before you this morning as we begin to understand Paul's emphasis here and us being in one accord, that we would be in one accord as we begin to think about encouraging each other, that we would be in one accord as we think about comforting each other and loving one another, that we'd be in one accord in the fellowship of the gospel efforts. You know, tonight is going to be a night where uh, we're going to look back on. I truly believe it. It's going to be a little bit of a different service tonight. And I, I, true, I told brother, <coughs> brother John and brother Zach and the ladies as we were coming back, as we were getting on the plane and all that, and we were talking about the services and talking about ministries and all that. I really believe that tonight could be a night in our church where we look back and we say either one of two things: we were a disobedient church or we were an obedient church. It's only two ways it's going to happen. As you go and you begin to look at the gospel efforts all in Paul's life and all of those, you think about Peter for just a moment. The gospel was the center. And so he uses this statement, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, that word fellowship, once again, speaking of a joint partnership, laboring together. Well, how can we confirm what he is dealing with? He is reemphasizing some of these things. Notice with me what he says in verse number four of chapter number one, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. Now, in verse number two of chapter number two, he's going to say, fulfill you my joy. Okay. Verse number four of chapter number one, he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. Notice the next words. For your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now. In verse number 12, he would later on go, but I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 27, chapter 1. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul's entire emphasis 
is the gospel. In one mind, in one accord, being like-minded for the gospel, for the gospel's sake. He later will close with this statement in verse number two. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Fourthly, we see not only Paul addressing the consolation, Paul addressing comfort, Paul addressing fellowship, but we see Paul addressing compassion. You see, the gospel is the most compassionate way we can share anything with anyone. I love you. Jesus loves you. Let me tell you about him. Those who are unlovable, those who despise you, those who mock you, those who ridicule you, Paul did it to all. As we emphasized a couple of weeks ago, Paul would later on go and say in the book of Philippians that he had no regrets and he had no, no, nothing to think on concerning the gospel because every single person that he came in contact with heard the gospel. Their blood would not be on his hands because they had an opportunity to accept. You see, Paul was not ashamed and he was not discouraged. He was not going to quit. He goes on and says, fulfill ye my joy. Paul had found what it meant to really live a life that was full of joy. And he meant, as he was saying, fulfill ye my joy. I've understood this, that I want it to be full. And I want you to fill it full. And Lord, I want you to use me. But oh, my joy is that they would understand this. That they would be of one mind, of one accord. As he goes on, he begins to help us to understand, how are we going to do with this? Well, notice with me a couple of things before we close this morning. He dealt with their harmony. Notice in verse number two what he says. That you be like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This statement, like-minded, very simply speaks of being on the same wavelength. Understanding what is the big idea. What is the main thing? What is the big picture, if you would? When you walk into the doors of the church, do you desire for yourself to be uplifted or do you desire the name of Jesus to be uplifted? When you walk in the doors of the church, do you desire that Christ would be magnified in all things? Or what is your heart's desire? Being like-minded, this is what it means, that we desire every single time that we walk through the doors of the church that we not be seen, but Christ be seen. That when the preacher is up in the pulpit, that we don't walk away saying, man, what a preacher, but that we walk away saying, what a Savior. Being like-minded. The same wavelength. As you begin to think about being like-minded, it means in our gospel efforts. It means that we are being like-minded as we move forward in our ministry efforts. And we say that the emphasis always ought to be Jesus. That we not lift up man. That we exalt the name of the Savior. Being like-minded is just simply that. He goes on and says this in verse number 2. He says, having the same love. This statement, having the same love. As you begin to think about unity in the local church. And unity in ministries. And unity in serving. It's a very interesting thing. Because as you begin to think about God's Word, we should be unified on God's Word, the way it's preached. What is preached? We ought to desire that the gospel be preached. We ought to desire that that the Word of God and truth be preached. God's work, we ought to be unified on. That as, as the Lord is guiding our church and moving our church forward, that we would be unified saying, Lord, we want to stay in your will. Lord, we want to say yes. You know, I've thought about this many, many times in in my own life and in in the life of this church that I truly don't want us to ever get in the way of what God is trying to do, that we would stop what He is doing. Oh, I believe He wants us to get in the way of some people, but I don't ever want to hinder what God is doing here. And I don't believe you do either. 
And I believe the Lord desires to use His Word and that He would use the work of God and He would use the people of God and that He would use His way and that we would understand that there's a lost and dying world out there that is looking for hope. And we have it. And when we're gospel-centered, in one accord saying, Lord, we want to do what you desire for us to do, we'll move forward. He goes on in verse number 2 and says these words, that being ye be like-minded, having the same love, the same love, being of one accord, here it is. Being of one accord is formed from the two words which mean together and soul. It literally speaks of this, that the hearts of every believer in every local church be knit together and mutually motivated by the same urge and desire to see souls saved. Can I ask you this question? Because this is truly something the Lord has dealt with us on, and really the emphasis of the entire conference we've just come from was on souls. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you wept over souls? When was the last time that you didn't use the excuse, well, someone else will do it? When was the last time that you didn't use the excuse, well, I'm already serving in this ministry? When was the last time that whether it was in the workplace, whether it was in your neighborhood, whether it was in the grocery store, that we honestly said, Lord, I desire to get in the way. Lord, use me. Can I share with you this morning, church, I desire that Clarksville, Tennessee would understand one thing about Gateway Baptist Church. They're going to knock on my door. They're going to share the gospel. They're going to tell me about Jesus. I might not agree with them. I might not to go to their church, but I can at least appreciate and acknowledge that they're all in on what they're doing. Oh, what a joy it's been when we've knocked on doors. We were out so many a couple of weeks ago and knocked on the door of someone, and the, the gentleman walked out, and he was getting ready because he was going to, to, to preach a service at a nursing home, and he was a deacon at another church, but he was so thrilled. He said, oh, it's such a joy to see other churches out in the community knocking on doors. And he said, look at all these children. Can I share with you, being of one mind in one accord, being gospel-centered. The statement of one mind four times in five verses, this word mind appears. It's because it's a battlefield. Whatever you set your mind to, oftentimes you'll do. And I wonder if you'd be willing this morning to set your mind to the gospel, the gospel efforts, sharing the gospel, being a gospel-centered Christian that every single person you come in contact with, that you don't know their circumstances, you don't know their problems, you don't know what they're going through. I received a text message two days ago. (coughs) Many of you know that we have been plugged in for... A while, uh, at least, we were plugged into the Adult Teen Challenge. We went through leadership changes, and we had everything going on over here, and the gentleman that was running it and his wife, it just, it just never, never did translate from what it was. I got a text message just the other day from a gentleman by the name of Adam who was running it. Many of you had met Adam because he brought groups over when we were over at Corporate Drive. And Adam reached out to me, and Adam is back in town, and he is heading up the Adult Teen Challenge again, and one of the very first churches he reached out to was Gateway Baptist Church. A couple of years ago, we were in a service, and the gospel was preached. 
The entire ministry of the Adult Teen Challenge is, yes, they're helping gentlemen that are addicted to certain things or that are, uh, were in jail and they're trying to get their life back on track. But the entire emphasis of the Adult Teen Challenge, as far as the foundation of where it is, is that these young men or these older men or these individuals would get saved and then their lives would be changed. A couple of years ago, they came to a church service. And I remember the church service, Adam was there and he brought a group over and the gospel was preached that morning. Those gentlemen would always sit right there on the front two rows. They got up after that service, after the invitation was given. Some of them were praying at the altar. They got up that morning, went over across the street to where they were at. They were right across the street, their facilities were. And I would go over there and preach every once in a while for them. And when I walked over there that one day that I was given the opportunity to preach, I remember that Adam had approached me and began to share with us that one of those young men had accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior that day. And I remember that young man, six, six weeks or eight weeks later, as they transitioned, they're only there for so long, that young man had gotten saved, and now he had been given the opportunity to go on a mission trip, and so he was trying to raise funds to go on a mission trip. As I go back to that day in my mind, I go back to that moment as the gospel is being preached, and we don't know people's circumstances. But that young man had already been in a situation that week where he was about to get himself out of the program. You see, these young men or these older men, however old they are, don't, they're not allowed to hold them captive. The entire ministry is you check yourself in, you check yourself out. Now, if you stay in the program, you get to the end and you get, you know, a certificate and we get you set up for a job and we put you up in housing and we help you get your life back on track. But they don't have to stay. That week, that young man that was there had already had an attack of some mind or whatever it was. He was either having an anxiety attack or he was just fed up and he was ready to call it quits. He was ready to get back and go see his family and his friends. He could not go through the program any longer. You see, he didn't have his cell phone. He didn't have any technology. He didn't have anything at that moment, in that place. All he had, many hours of the day, they were told to read their Bible. They would go through lessons. They would go serve. They would do ministry. They would come back. They would do uh, service, and they would go back, and they would do more Bible reading. He just couldn't take any longer. Somehow, Adam was able to talk this man into staying in the program. Can't tell you if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday that all this took place. But I do know this. It's irrelevant now because on Sunday he got saved. And his life was changed. Why? Because of the gospel. And because there was a young man by the name of Adam whose life was changed by the gospel, and that young man understood one thing, that we need to keep these young men in the program and help them to understand that it's the gospel that changes all things. And he was gospel-minded. He was gospel-centered. And he said, hey, you have to stay. We're going to church in the morning. And Sunday came, and that young man's life was forever changed. Can I share with you, Paul understood as he was talking about this one subject matter, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, 
of one mind. Paul, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with our harmony. He later will, in verse number three, deal with holiness. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglories. He says, strife, speaking of self-seeking pursuit and vainglory and all of that. But in verse number four, he's going to go on and he's going to begin to highlight humility in verse number three and four. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other better than themselves. And so Paul brings it all to a point. When he says in this verse, verse number two, probably the words often looked over. Fulfill ye my joy. Paul, what do you mean, fulfill ye my joy? Well, as I already said in verse 27 of chapter one, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you, he's saying, fulfill ye my joy, whether I'm there or not, that your conversation be as it becometh the gospel or else be absent. I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Can I encourage you, church? There are churches shutting the doors every day. There are churches stopping their soul winning efforts every day. There are churches falling by the wayside every day. I believe Satan is attacking pastors. I believe Satan is attacking ministries. I believe Satan is attacking churches. I believe Satan is attacking many of the people in churches, homes, young people. And so I say this with all the love in my heart this morning. Our church, as we move forward, as we get gospel-centered, as we say, Lord, help us to stay where you'd have us to stay. Help us to be what you'd have for us to be. May we be a church that is in one accord. May we be a church that understands that the gospel is truly the center of all things.